this is the greatest effort professionally in my career. And if, if at the end of the day, MetaView as an entity can make the human health needle tick forward, just one, one tick, lifetime achievement. And if we can, we can really advance human health, that's where we're, we're working towards. And we're, we've been blessed along this pathway to be in Ohio, to be partnered with the Cleveland Clinic on a clinical, on a research perspective, on an investment perspective, to have the Mayo Clinic also as a partner and to work, be working with GE Healthcare and other strategic entities as well. Those partnerships along the way have helped us drive to that destination. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Adam Rakestraw, the co-founder, chairman, general counsel, and chief business development officer at MetaView XR, based here in Cleveland, Ohio. With approximately $29.5 million in capital raised from strategic partners like the Cleveland Clinic, Mayo Clinic, GE Healthcare, Jobs Ohio, and many others since its founding in 2019, MetaView is a medical technology company working to advance human health through its digital augmented reality ecosystem. MetaView's AR visualization platform aims to unlock the full potential of 3D data to transform image-guided medical procedures with intuitive 3D x-ray visualization, seamless remote collaboration, and evidence-based data insights. And this dream to democratize healthcare by removing barriers to patient access and to address the long-standing limitations of current medical imaging technologies is well underway as the company recently secured the first 510K clearance of its kind for an AR device with live imaging combined with 3D x-ray visualization by the FDA. Adam has an extensive legal and medical device background with over 20 years of experience across organizations like Merck and Medtronic. This was such an amazing conversation that feels like a genuine clairvoyant portal into the future of healthcare and how Adam and his team at MetaView are leading the charge to make it all happen. So please enjoy my conversation with Adam Rakestraw after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Impact Architects and by 90. As we share the stories of entrepreneurs building incredible organizations in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio, Impact Architects has helped hundreds of those leaders, many of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their own visions and build these great organizations. I believe in Impact Architects and the people behind it so much that I have actually joined them personally in their mission to help leaders gain focus, align together, and thrive by doing what they love. If you two are trying to build great, Impact Architects is offering to sit down with you for a free consultation or provide a free trial through 90, the software platform that helps teams build great companies. If you're interested in learning more about partnering with Impact Architects or by leveraging 90 to power your own business, please go to ia.layoftheland.fm. The link will also be in our show notes. When people think about the future of healthcare, I find that they often imagine this future where clinicians are, are granted superpowers, you know, kind of fully leveraging the, the capabilities of technology for good, able to aid patients with levels of precision and efficacy that really have never been possible before. And what I love about MetaView and the work you're doing is that it feels kind of right out of this imagined sci-fi future. You know, something like x-ray, holographic visualization, so surgeons are able to look directly into a patient during a procedure, seeing the internal anatomy under their skin in 3D, you know, all of it, the organs, the bones, the vasculature. It really feels to me like you're building something that has never been done before that blends, you know, the, the, the physical world and the digital world in a really exciting way. And so I've just been really, you know, excited to hear more about how this came together, the, the work you're doing, the problem space, and your personal path to, to all of us. So thank you for, for joining us. Excited to be here. I mean, the funny thing is you've got these great movies out right now, like Iron Man and, you know, Superman. And it's it's this blending of, you know, the, the, the digital capabilities that you see with Iron Man and Tony Stark with, you know, the Superman vision of being able to look under somebody's skin. That, that's, that's, a, that's the crossroads we're at. And, and to be 
able to bring that to fruition uh, in the state of Ohio and Cleveland is, you know, for the world is is an, an honor, and I'm humbled to be a part of the journey, candidly. So how is it that you came to find yourself at this intersection of Superman and Iron Man and, and making that a reality? <laughs> you know, I I asked myself this just last night. We've had some really good <laughs> news lately, but uh, for the company and the company's in a tremendous going in a tremendous direction. We we are blessed with some really incredible people. But on my personal journey, I transitioned away from the practice of law, got into medical device because I wanted to be a part of healthcare. And I had a great career going there. And I got a, a call saying, hey, there's this am- amazing technology at the Cleveland Clinic. Would you come up and take a look at it? John Black, the other co-founder of MediView, called me. And I, I was blessed that he thought of me first. And I, I had very measured expectations came up. I had not experienced augmented reality yet. I did play with a little bit of virtual reality. This is back in 2016 and came up here and put this headset on. And having been in, you know, thousands of procedures with clinicians who are trying to look at flat screens, you know, two flat screen images to understand depth and anatomy internally, I saw how it allowed a, a human being, a clinician to consume 3D data, to see 3D data. That is what augmented reality does. And, and extrapolating that just from being able to, to insert digital images in your space with depth perception to, to draw that line across to where you're applying it for healthcare, it just unlocks potential and, and capabilities that, that, that frankly hadn't existed. So it didn't take us much time to go back and say, let's start a company. At that point in time, so that that is how the introduction itself happened, and then um, we really scaled from there. And that that's a, a longer part of the dialogue. We can di- we can certainly dump into that story, but that's that's how that that spark started for me. So the the potential for what you saw, the implications of this technology being were were kind of there from the the onset. No, the minute I put the headset on, I I I, I saw it, and I and I it's the thing I would say is is really true. To, even to this day, it's an experiential technology. You, no matter what words we put around it, you have to experience it to to really understand the implications of it. And there's been a lot of people who've been skeptics and naysayers, and they come put the headset on and they see what we built, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I thought I knew, and I didn't know until I put the headset on." That's one of our biggest challenges, uh, and and it's the beauty of augmented reality at the same time. Yeah, I, I have found that to be the case for that kind of medium where. I don't know, to me, one of the most fascinating experiences when I came around to to trying VR and, and AR stuff for the first time was that it didn't feel like I was using a technology. It felt like I was in a different place. And like my memories of it were of experiencing what it was to be in that space, not, you know, looking at a screen. It's kind of, it is hard to describe. I don't know how you can imagine what it feels like. Yeah, you know, and people, there's still confusion out there and, and, and knowledge to be disseminated about the difference between virtual reality, where you don't see the outside world, and augmented reality, where you wear a pair of glasses, kind of like what I'm wearing. They're much bulkier now, but they'll get to this form factor. And you still see everything around you. It just puts digital content in your world. Whether it's a floating screen and you're doing a remote collaboration, whether it's taking a CT image or MRI image or whatever it is and then making it back into a hologram that's life-size and putting it under a person's skin. I mean, it just allows you to interact with the real world and digital content at the same time. And there's those, those nuances are different. I mean, I our team had a great team building exercise this, this week in Cleveland. We went to and did a VR experience. And I, I don't do well in VR personally, because I, I get a little bit of the, I get, uh, when you, when you, especially when you get into the, the really complex things, I, I, my mind doesn't, uh, and my balance doesn't really work right with that, but with AR, I'm fine. And it really, I, I, I love, I love both technologies, but I really love what augmented reality is going to, going to bring to the market. At that point in time, some work had already been done to allow you to, to see the potential in this. Can you take us through a bit the, the impetus for, for that work and, and, and just kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how the technology transfer out of the C- Cleveland Clinic actually transpired and, you know, the, the vision at that point for what the, the company would become. So the Cleveland Clinic Innovations had uh, a, a couple of different patents that related to the technology. And so John and I formed the company in 2017, and then we went about negotiating with the Cleveland Clinic to license it. And so uh, that licensure process took a little bit of time. But what we ended up 
getting at the end of it was a global exclusive worldwide license for those technologies. Uh, one is to take the imaging and register it under the skin. And the other one is to take live imaging and fuse it with a CT or a hologram in that space. So once we were able to get the licensure done, then we start set about you know bootstrapping and doing the work, initial foundational work with initial early investors, with the state of Ohio using grants and otherwise to get the technology back to a or up to a a point of maturity where we could we could do a broader or bigger fundraise. And what that meant in our case was getting the technology to a form factor, we could do a series of early inhuman evaluations, what we call an IRB case. And we got five of those completed. And once we were able to get those five completed, we were able to use that to show, to go out to investors and say, hey, this isn't just a theory. It has already been built in a, at least a prototype format and has been used in human at the Cleveland Clinic. It is viable. And now because it's viable, we can show you it's viable. We are seeking funds to mature the, co- the, the technology further. That took place in October 2019 and we raised a $4.5 million seed round. And then we started hiring core team members and growing the team from there. So at that point in time, I imagine the potential applications of the technology were vast. How did, at that point, did you think about, you know, mixed realities impact on healthcare on a broad scale and the potential for what it would take to bring it forward and and realize its full potential and the actual specific applications you would choose to to focus on? Well, I mean, that's a really great point because mixed reality has a, a breadth of applications, whether it's training and educating people and simulating, whether it's how you plan a procedure to how you deliver a procedure. There's a a broad spectrum. And and the thing is you can't take on all of that. You can take on a focused piece of that. And our piece was we are going to go to the, what they considered the Holy grail, which is where a patient and an instrument and the imaging interact for procedure, which a lot of other entities out there were already focusing on the other place. That's great. We can partner with those entities later, but we wanted to focus specifically on that Holy grail. And then within that, you know, there's so many different use cases and applications. We were fortunate to be connected with Dr. Chuck Martin, who's chair of interventional oncology at the Cleveland Clinic. And he goes, one of the most difficult procedures to to execute uh, and complex and that, that, more patients need more access to is tumor ablation, where you stick, you percutaneously take a needle uh, or a probe, I should say, you put it into a tumor and you either heat that tumor or freeze it to kill it. Now, the thing is, though, doing that through the skin is highly complex. He gave the analogy of trying to hit a, a grape that's inside of a watermelon and trying to figure out where that grape is. And there's critical structures around it and those kind of things. So we set about focusing on that application first with the technology to get it mature to a point where we can get it to a product-ready state, submit it to the FDA, because that's the other complexity we're under regulatory, get it to the FDA so that that first application in use can be the foundation for a breadth of other applications moving forward. So going back to your question about the IP, the intellectual property that licenses for all applications, we still had to figure a focused one first to get it through the FDA. And then beyond that, we can partner and develop for, uh, it really, it's a platform technology from head to toe. You can, you, we can expand from there. So that that's how we decided. And it, part of it was happenstance and part of it was really focused and just a long discussion on what we wanted to, to pursue and, and how we wanted to pursue it. it. Is part of the thinking there that if you can have an application that proves to facilitate one of the more practically complicated procedures that it might be easier from there to cover a wider breadth? Exactly. I mean, you want, number one, you want to, you want to show that the system functions. Number two, you want it to serve a need, a clinical need. And then number three, Dollars make sense, and especially in a startup world, you've got to show that you can. It's got an economic impact with it, also. So not only just the clinical impact that you can get it through regulatory, but it can have an economic impact. And we can show all three of those with the system, with the application that we went to market with. That sets the foundation. Then once you've proven those those out, that we you know we're talking tumor ablation. We have people approaching us for neurosurgery, spine surgery, breast applications, prostate. I mean, you can literally go from head to toe. Because that's what our, our our breadth of ownership and our IP is, and they're they're requesting that right at this stage of the company still. 
the no's are just as important as the yeses are. So with all these requests in front of us, we have to remain focused and deliver on the task at hand and set ourselves up to for the path of where we can pursue those things moving forward. But each path is scrutinized for what's it going to do on an impact on our financial runway? What's it going to do for our investors? What's it going to do for the technology? And if it's if it checks all those boxes, we can we can put it in the yes, potential yes category. There's a lot of things we have to say no to, but it's being focused on that path is what will deliver the technology to market and allow us to grow it. I mean, it is quite literally head to toe. That's head to toe. <laughs> yeah, it is literally, the IP is head to toe. So, you know, we're, and what's really unique uh, about MetaView is that we are the first company in the world to submit to the FDA for integration of live medical imaging into augmented reality. Our submission before the FDA is for soft tissue and bone applications. So a lot of the technologies that are out there right now are bone specific. The way that we're able to, number one, take a patient's CT or MRI and turn it into a hologram, put it under their skin, it's a reference image. So it's, it's, it's not as dynamic yet. We're not to a point where they're dynamic images, but it's reference. So what we do by taking live imaging is we can, we can confirm the location of where the hologram should be, and we can confirm the location of where the instruments and the tracks of the instruments should be. So we right. have been able to pursue soft tissue, which other companies have not. So you had mentioned this uh, analogy of, of you know finding a, a grape in a watermelon, and uh, yeah. you know I, I kind of hope practically that isn't quite exactly what the status quo <laughs> looks and feels like today. But no. I, I am curious when you when you think and and when you go to pitch MetaView in 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 the context of practitioners who are are performing these these surgeries uh, and different procedures, is it a matter of unlocking things that they couldn't do before? Or is it enhancing things that they have done historically? Or is it both? It's both. And there are clinicians with a different spectrum of capabilities and experiences. There's there's this thing where some clinicians have a, what I would refer to as a 3D mind. They can look at two, 2D imaging and orient their space, create a 3D picture in their mind easily. They've just done it. They're used to it. And some people are born that way. Some people, that's not as intuitive. In either event, you're still taking on a cognitive load. You still are doing mental gymnastics to get that picture in your head and navigate it. Some people can do it right away. And some people, it takes them a long time and it's complicated. And that's why it dissuades some people from doing that. What augmented reality does is it takes that cognitive load completely off. It gives everybody the 3D mind and it puts it right in front of you in a natural and intuitive way so that even that expert who's done a bunch, there's still times that they could benefit from more information or better information and data and better visualization. There are people that are, are just starting their practice that have never done a procedure that need more confidence and comfort in doing that. And what we do, augmented reality does is gives them the information in a easily digestible format reduces the cognitive load so they can focus on the more critical pieces of the, of, of the procedure so that right now, Specific to ablation, about one in five candidates for ablation actually gets it. And the alternative to an ablation is an open surgery resection. Maybe it's chemotherapy. Maybe it's radiation. Maybe it's nothing at all for some of these patients. And what giving clinicians better tools opens up access to these cancer patients for therapies that they could deserve and they could they could do better with. And that's that's part of that dignity of MetaView as an entity bringing these technologies to market. But going back to your question, it, it there's benefits to all clinicians from all different ranges of experience and confidence and comfort. And, and it, it really plays more into, I think, the adoption of it. You know, how do, who do we go to first? Who's going to be an early adopter? Who wants to be a visionary or a luminary in that space, that tip of the spear, and be able to iterate on it? Because there's this really rare window of opportunity for some of these clinicians to get involved with this kind of a technology, to be that pioneer, and to, to inform it. And that's what we're looking for in this next phase. You know, as we go to market, it it's in this first year, it's not going to be necessarily broad commercialization, but it's still targeted so that we can find the right clinicians and the right partners to continue to refine it, to get it to that state where it, it deserves to be and to deliver it to human health. And our, you know, I've, I've said several times, this is the greatest effort professionally in my career. And if, if at the end of the day, MetaView as an entity can make the human health needle tick forward, just one, one tick, lifetime achievement. And if we can, we can really advance human health, that's where we're, we're working towards. And we're, 
we've been blessed along this pathway to be in Ohio, to be partnered with the Cleveland Clinic on a clinical, on a research perspective, on an investment perspective, to have the Mayo Clinic also as a partner and to work, be working with GE Healthcare and other strategic entities as well. Those partnerships along the way have helped us drive to that destination. Right. You know, it's fun to think about that even a, a tick at that scale is, is quite an enormous you know, shift in, in the experience and implications for, for clinicians, for patients, all, all the practitioners involved. And, and I know since uh, the onset, you've been able to, to raise, you know, about an additional 30 million in funding. And so, you know, obviously the, the picture that you're painting is, is quite large of, you know, the kind of impact this can have at scale. What is that, that vision, you know, looking into the future that, that you've convinced in, investors of, of the future of medical care and, and what in your mind is the, the path and, and strategy look like to, uh, to achieve that? You know, our vision is that it really MetaView's vision is to simplify and inform and, and d- democratize healthcare delivery at a very, very high level. The way augmented reality does it is by giving tools that don't exist and capabilities that don't exist that when delivered to the healthcare market will make more procedures possible, open up access and therapies to patients, create efficiencies in care delivery, make these procedures shorter, more efficient, less radiation, being able to push care out to rural areas effectively. And that's that's our vision. Now, we, we still pare it down and, and make it really focused. We're delivering on this specific area of it. We have the opportunity, though, because I think we do have a keystone technology where it's designed for partnerships and integration, but we have a a very focused technology that when delivered to the market will impact healthcare. Number one, number two, it will drive returns from it for our investors because it's not just the story you tell it's, it's what's going to follow it. And that's, I think they've, they see that. And, and then, you know, as you go through these phases of funding, it's not just the story you tell as, as you, you well know, but it's the people you have on board. They want to see the people behind it. And they want to see the proof of, of what you've produced to date in the direction you're going in the future. And, and lining those efforts up and those, uh, those, those elements up has really been the key to our success in fundraising. So how does MetaView make money? What, what does the, the business model and sales <laughs> process look like? So MetaView has been, has been re- revenue producing uh, since 2022. Now, we are not revenue positive. We are still a investor-funded organization. We produce revenue in a couple d- different ways. Number one, contracted development is one of our revenue paths right now. So entities will come to MetaView and say, hey, and I'll take a step back. MetaView as an entity has been built top to bottom internally. We don't do external contractors. So regulatory is is our own. Adam Cargill on our team leads our regulatory, and we've you know we've got some really awesome team members for that. But we took that in house, so we own it. Um, our development is all done in house, and we've got some of the best developers from across the country that we've hired. We've been very targeted and specific in that. We've got really wonderful people. I cannot say enough about this team and what they're building to move forward. So the, the team's phenomenal. But the underlying business model, going back to that, we do contract development. So because all of our functions are in-house, an entity, whether they're a medical device company, whether they're a medical imaging company, will come to MetaView and say, hey, we'd like to build this application. You're going to be more efficient than we are because we're a juggernaut of a company. You have this specific skill set. Will you will you build this for us? And that's part of what we've done with GE Healthcare. They wanted to build the interventional suite of the future. So you, in, in an interventional suite in the hospitals where a cardiologist or radiologist or a neurosurgeon can walk into and they've got a machine mounted in there and there's different imaging inputs. There, may, there might be an ultrasound machine in there. There's going to be fluoroscopy where they're doing x-rays. What we've built and what, contra- what GE has contracted with us to exclusively build for them at this point is that Tony Stark cockpit of the future for interventionalists. So starting this October is our target. Those clinicians will be able to step into that suite, put on a headset and all their inputs, their feeds, their fluoro feed, their auto write, their ultrasound, they can see a 3D image of, of what they want to see is all in front of them and they can interact with it any way they want. So that's contracted revenue. Um, and that's a global go-to-market agreement with GE. On the flip side, at the same time, we are building our own organic products and we are going to be selling our own organic products. So in 2022, we sold a handful of systems to learn 
not only from going out and going through that process with those customers, but also watching how the customers interacted with the system to refine it as we continue to move forward. So this year, we are continuing to sell systems organically. Uh, Again, it's a very measured paced growth uh, because we're still refining it. We've had these headsets on over a thousand clinicians, and even though we brought revenue in, we're not trying to scale revenue yet. Uh, we we want to get to a, a degree of product maturity. Moving into 2024, that's going to start scaling at a different pace. It's going to increase. So, with you know, we have one system that's registered with the FDA. We are refining that to to add product maturity and open up its installation base. We have the full blown navigation system. We will sell those organically as well and in some partnerships. So two streams, contract development, organic sales. And then when you divide, when you dive into organic sales itself and go to market, we actually have different channel partners that will distribute for us. So we're going to have our own sales force. We're going to have resellers that work with us, whether it's, you know, through GE or other contracted partners or distribution entities as well as we go to market. So I, there are a few Ideas there that I want to touch on, but we can only really talk about one at a time. But, you know, across the, the partnerships, the team, the idea of kind of the super user physician and the, the product maturity, I think just at this point, it would be helpful to understand, knowing to your point that it's hard to visualize what this looks like without experiencing it for yourself. But, you know, pr- practically speaking, you know, you, you put on this headset and you've alluded to some of the, the information that's going to be surfaced. But take us through what this experience feels like for, for a clinician. So imagine this, you're a clinician, and, and we've had people who are not clinicians put the headset on and say, I could do a procedure with this. It's really, it's the gamification of surgery at the end of the day is what it is. Imagine sitting there and walking into a room, you've got a patient in front of you, and you put a pair of goggles on. And as you look into that patient you can give voice commands and see what you want to see when you want to see it. So patient has a tumor in the liver and you could sit there and give a voice command and say, show tumors. And the tumor is highlighted in front of you in under the patient's skin within their body. You can move around. There's no limitations on how you move or your position, but you get to see that tumor under the skin. So you can localize it. You can see right where it is and you can localize it very, very quickly, but you need to understand more, not just where the tumor is, but what anatomy is it within? So say it's in the liver. You can sit there and give a voice command, say show liver, and you see the patient's own liver show up under their skin. Well, what else am I worried about? I can say show vessels. I can say show me the kidneys just for reference if I want to see those or say that lesions at the top of the, the liver, which puts it under a rib cage, you can say show, show bone and all these things appear. So they're all in front of you. You get full depth perception. You completely understand the anatomy very, very intuitively up front. So say now you want to steer that, that needle, that instrument to that, that lesion, and you've got to get around the bone first. You start steering that needle and inserting it into the patient, steering it towards that, that lesion. You've, you understand where the vessels are. You understand where the bone is. Now you're past the bone, and you don't need to see the bone anymore. You can say hide bone, and that, that part of the imaging disappears. So you focus down specifically on that location that you're trying to drive to. You drive your instrument, that that needle to that location. And as you're driving it, you can say, show ice ball, which sounds kind of funny. But what it is, is it will show you the zone you're going to freeze, theoretically, to kill the tumor before you even hit the button to turn it on to start killing that tissue. So you can place it, you get a model of what you think it's going to be. Then I can say float anatomy, and that floats above the patient, which was initially displayed as x-ray vision under the skin, now floats above the patient. Why would you do that? Well, because now I can sit there and take a hold of that imaging and spin it and look at it from every angle to make sure that that zone is exactly where I think I want it to be. And then I can go back to say project anatomy. It snaps back down under the patient's skin. You've got your x-ray vision back again. You hit the button and you can execute your procedure. On the back end of that, as you're doing that, the system's capturing 3D coordinate data for everything that you're doing. Where was the imaging? Where was the tool? Where was the patient during the procedure? On the back end of it, then, we're going to be able to be build AI and other data off of that. But for the first person user, that's what you would see and experience during a case. And then I, to pull on that string a little bit, the next step of that is being able to collaborate like you and I are right now. So... 
I'm in that case with that visualization, and I'm and I say to myself, you know what? I would really like Jeff's opinion on this. I don't, I don't, I, I'm really concerned about this, or this is a little more complex. I could give a voice command and call you in to that procedure. What happens for me is the where a little screen pops up, just like on a, this call, on a Teams, on a Zoom call, whatever. A little screen pops up. I see you. Nobody else in the room sees you, but I see you wearing the headset, and we have voice dialogue between us. You can sit, there, but you get to see on the receiving end through my eyes. You get to see the surgical space all my medical imaging, that x-ray vision, the guidance, everything. And we can have a voice conversation and you can annotate. So you could sit there and say, hey, Adam, I would really watch out for this specific vessel. And if I don't get it by what we're talking about verbally, you can circle it and that circle would show up in the space, my operative space in front of me. Just, and that's just the fundamental level of collaboration you can start with. But that starts taking that capability and expanding it out expanding the experience of other clinician and users, whether you want to teach with it, whether you want to collaborate with it, whether you want to push care to rural settings, that's where you just take just that fundamental visualization, that incredible accomplishment of that visualization and navigation and start pushing it out and delivering it to other spaces. So when you think about, I guess, a, a competitive concept here, right? Is it mostly against the, you know, the status quo? Are there other folks doing that? And, and then, you know, in that, line of thinking, right? I imagine even from the perspective of clinicians, you're going to have those who are very excited about this, are innovative, the early adopters. And then, you know, like most markets, there's going to be people who are, are skeptical and, and lagging in that adoption and probably have concerns about like, you know, what, how is the efficacy and accuracy of these visualizations? And, you know, obviously a lot of that is, is tested uh, and ironed out in, in regulatory trials and, and things of that nature. But how are you addressing those concerns and 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 what is if anything do you think about competition here you know competition's good it, it just you know if, if it was us alone in this market yeah there's there, there could, you could say up front you'd think oh there's benefit to that and 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 that's great but we need other people driving the maturity of the technology and we need it, this is really a, a matter of partnerships and this is something we sincerely believe in it's not just partnerships with clinicians, it's, it's healthcare systems, it's imaging companies, device companies, competitors in, out there in the space who are also driving adoption benefit us and we benefit them because it's going to take that to get mixed reality to really a, a place of maturity and a place of broader adoption. Now, what I would say, there, there's competitors that are using mixed reality for surgery right now. Our methodology is different and it is IP protected and it gives us capabilities that some of our competitors, most of our competitors don't have. But we want them to be successful and we want to be successful because I think human health benefits from that. So it pushes us to be better, number one, and, and, and to deliver the product to the market, a quality product to market. On the remote collaboration side, there's competitors in that space as well. There's companies that are focused specifically on installing cameras around a room and allowing people to, to collaborate remotely. There are companies that are working on letting one person, one location operate a robot in another location. You know, that's all great. I mean, we we know we we are walking towards a time when, you know, 30% of clinicians are over the age of 65. And you can't train enough people to catch up and, and deliver care. So those remote that idea, remote collaboration, again, the, the, these competitors are in that space that are building on that. The more it gets adopted, even in different form factors, the better. You know, we really think that our form factor is, you know, uh, uh, it's already integrated into the system. It integrates medical imaging in a very unique way. And it's from the first person perspective of the user, which differentiates us. So now I, I will say this, I have a 278 slide presentation just on IP <laughs> because that's something we monitor, but you know, competition is good for us. We're going to compete. We believe in what we've built and we are, we think about that every day and how we position the product. And then to that idea of, you know, the innovative early adapters and those who are skeptical of what you're doing, you know, how does, how do you balance those? Well, you know, you've got to, it helps you target your efforts. You got to find the early adopters who are going to be champions and, and help, push you. And even, even within that, you've got to find the champions, not the ones who just say, yes, it's great and I'm going to use it. But the ones that say, it's good, but it needs to be better. And this is how you make it better. Those people that really are genuinely committed, those clinicians that are committed 
to the technology, to what it can serve, the practice of medicine, and what it's going to do for the patients. And and those are very strategic decisions. And, you know, I think we've been very fortunate, MediView as a company has been very fortunate to find those clinicians and partner with them, starting with Dr. Chuck Martin, you know, in, uh, in Cleveland and then growing from there. So, but we want, ultimately, to your point, we want to get to the point where we get the early adopters, they get in the market, they prove it out grows adoption more broadly and to even to the point I, we're not going to sell everybody I, I don't think any products ever sold everybody but if we can get breadth of adoption even some of those guys that say you know i'm an ex- expert i don't need it and then they start seeing what it can deliver and say you know what I, I i may not need it but i'm humble enough to say i want more information in the room and i i we should have this system here we should have x-ray vision on 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 hand and it's it's more information for me to make a better decision at the end of the day and part of that adoption, I imagine, would be greatly facilitated by some of the, you know, formidable partners that you have. You, you mentioned partnerships that, you know, I believe GE, Healthcare, and Microsoft, obviously coming out of the Cleveland Clinic, working with the Mayo Clinic. I mean, at this intersection of technology, imaging, healthcare, how have those partnerships come to be? You know, what is it like to, to form those as a, as a startup? What have they brought to the table and, and what ultimately do you hope to validate through those? Well, being uh, the IP being born out of the Cleveland Clinic didn't hurt us at all. That was a huge help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, our offices are in the Global Cardiovascular Innovation Center here, right on Cleveland Clinic's campus. Uh, we have the benefit of walking across the street and working with these world-class clinicians every day. That That's something that you can't, you, you just can't replace. And, and we were extraordinarily blessed to be born out of the Cleveland Clinic and growing out of the Cleveland Clinic and still have that weight behind us. That is an attention grabber. So you get one partner like that and and people start to pay attention. When you have, you know, then you you grow it and, and you know, we've been selective about our engagements. When Mayo Clinic comes on and decides to make an investment, and Mayo, MetaView was the first time that Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic have ever invested in the same company. To have the mm. number one and two hospitals, uh, in, arguably in the in the country for sure, and arguably in the world, invest in the same company speaks volumes. And then to get the world's number one imaging company and you know, to also invest and do partnerships with you, while leaving yourself agnostic and able to work with other entities and companies, put you in a strategic position to really accelerate into the market and draw those the, the those quality clinicians and partners moving forward. So that sounds like a simple way to state it. It, it took a heck of a lot of work. It's, it's long days and endless nights and a lot of travel, meeting and networking and leveraging and communicating, effectively communicating what we've built and how we've built it and who we've built it with. It just, it leads you to these pathways to the right partners. And part of that also is your advisors along that journey. So Medivine He's blessed with some really great world-class advisors. So, you know, we've Daniel Jamil, who is a Forbes 30 under 30 guy who launched software company for education, you know, because we are software based. At the end of the day, we're a med tech software company. He came on, you know, Fazel Merchant, who uh, was CFO of DreamWorks and, and now has worked with a multitude of global companies. Uh, Mark Griswold here in, in Cleveland as well has come on and we're, you know, he... He's a busy man that works with Microsoft and is is known as one of the uh, the founder, founders of of Millextrality and healthcare and what they're doing. You know, choosing these critical advisors as well is really important to us. You know, I could Sabine Shake, Brad Hughes. I could go down the line of the people that were uh, Anand Patel, another clinician, uh, and we go down this line. These these people who are committed to bringing that mission forward. Those are equally as important as the partners out there. But again, it's it's networking. It's it's just networking and getting that message out and finding the right people. And our board of directors has been really instrumental in that as well. I'll pull on the, the building, you know, in Ohio thread, you know, knowing that the company is, is based here in, in Cleveland and uh, you know, obviously you've, you've spoken highly of the support you received from local organizations and the, the role that the ecosystem has played in MetaView's success so far can kind of dovetail that with the, the team building part, because I, I imagine one of the, the difficult pieces to me as an outsider learning about what you're doing is, you know, how do you find people who both understand the, the absolute nuance of, of these kinds of, of medical procedures and also the software part of it? So how, how, is that, how has that played out? 
Well, I'll take on the, the, the state of Ohio question first, and we can talk about building a team. The state of Ohio has been a blessing. I think a lot of people, even down this journey, I think a lot of, we get a lot of East Coast, West Coast people saying, you know, is there really tech companies coming out of Ohio? And I think Ohio, you know, has done a lot of steps lately to really show, showcase and build the state as an entity and a location where tech is being developed. I mean, you have the Intel factory going down around Columbus. You have battery, battery manufacturing plants going in. We've had some great advocacy and partnerships within the state. So we early on, we got a TVSF grant, which is, you know, non-dilutive funding that helped us support that came from the state. Jobs Ohio, the growth capital fund has also been an investor in us, but there's other resources here. Early, very early on, there's what they call ESP, entrepreneurial service providers. And that was provided to us as as well as some small amount of funding, some initial really critical seed funding to get the company going. That's all here for you in Ohio. There's people here, there's tech, there's infrastructure. It's all available and it's just what you leverage to make make of it. We are still Ohio born and Ohio proud, but lo- launching global technologies. And I, I, we're, we're Cleveland proud on top of it. So we're, we're really excited for, for where we're at and where we've done the, the form of our funding, the safe funding. We are the, we, we've launched and executed the largest safe in Ohio's history. And it's a simple agreement for future equity. It's a vehicle that's, it's gained momentum as of rate lately, uh, especially in this, this crazy funding environment. That's typically an East coast, West coast thing. We brought it to Ohio and, and delivered it here and Ohio executed on it. Our investment core, uh, one of the, the first groups. So we, we were blessed to go through an, uh, an investment syndicate where these investors gathered together, formed a company specifically to fund MetaView. And these are, I mean, business thought leaders, clinicians, et cetera. There's a landscape of them, but they formed one entity called Inside View and they invest in us. That came out of Ohio, primarily Northwest Ohio. Uh, I'm, I'm from Finley, where that area where it came from, but that gave us our seed funding that, that reinvested in the safe round and then doubled down even more from there. So whether it's been funding or otherwise, Ohio's got great avenues. I, I can't say enough about it and the support that we've received. Transitioning to how do you grow talent here? So the interesting dynamic, and, and MetaView's faced its challenges a couple different times, and the pandemic was one of them. So in October 2019, we raised that $4.5 million seed round, and we started to hire. We hired our first four people. Mina Fahim came over as our chief technical officer from uh, Medtronic. He lives in Minneapolis. Uh, Greg Miller, they're both like uh, employees 1A and B. They, we hired them at the same time. Greg Miller is from Finley, Ohio. We joke that he in, invented the internet. <laughs> He's a MacGyver on our team and, and, and they're both leaders. But you know, we hired these core people. We knew by, based upon what we were building, that some elements of the company were going to be in Ohio, and and some of them, frankly, we weren't going to find here. We wanted the best of the best, and so we set ourselves up at from day one. Greg was really great about setting ourselves the company up to work remotely. So when COVID hit and we had started to hire people, you know, we we had an you know obviously an emergent board meeting. Like, are are we okay? I'm like, we're we're okay. We're set up to work remotely. Well, we knew we were bringing in the talent. It's allowed us. Because we can do the mix, and right now we've got 32 employees and 16 of them are in Cleveland and 16 are dispersed, but being set up remotely allowed us to, to take advantage of a national pool of the best talent that we could look at, but still be based out of Ohio. So we have employees from California, you know, you name it, across the United States, every time zone, we've got an employee that comes in. And we work with and then being connected remotely allows that, but it also doesn't replace the work that we get done in person we just had a town hall, and uh, you know, one of the, the times a year we have the entire employee pool came in this week to work together. But we've got the best talent from across the country. They're still coming in here to work in Ohio, and they're they're happy to do so. Being connected is what allows us to to do that. When you think about the the team, what to you does it mean to to build culture? What what is the culture of of MetaView? Uh, family. Right. That's one of our, our statements that hangs over the door and it's hung over the door since since day one. Actually, John Black, our co-founder, said it first and we've emulated this moving forward. Uh, it's faith, family, met of you. So, you know, you've got to have your faith and, and your family have to come first. But, we, we you know, met of you is, is right after that. That's that's how we live day in and day out. And we take care of one another. Our culture is supportive of one another. We we work very hard. We share the challenges and we 
We celebrate the successes together and we hold each other accountable to a very, very high standard uh, of performance. And, and, you know, if people, if somebody's in a time of need or help, we help them out. If, if somebody's achieving, we celebrate it. We just, and we all hold ourselves accountable to the, to those goals. You know, going down that line, even taking that a step further, you know, we're also, I think we've got a, a pretty humble team. It's who, you know, what's the best for the company? What's the best for the technology? So John, you know, John, the other uh, co-founder, you know, we both came from medical device. He exited and took on the CEO role at the early stage of the company. You know, we had had discussions about me coming over and taking over the CEO role as the company continued to mature. And what ended up happening is, you know, that Mina Fahim, who I mentioned earlier, came over as, originally as CTO and he quickly demonstrated who he was as a leader. And we knew at that point in time, John and I as co-founders and the board promoted Mina to president and CEO. And that was the right decision. It's been instrumental for the company. And we've had other people that have shifted positions and, and um, it's what's right for the company at the right time. Being that that co-founder terminology only means something outside of MetaView, within the walls of MetaView, the co-founder thing is not, it's it's who we are every day. We don't talk about that kind of stuff. We just put the right people in the right positions to do the right things. When you think about the the vision and, and where you're trying to go, kind of a, a two-pronged question here, you know, fast forwarding a bit, what will have gone right if you achieve it and what will have gone wrong if you, if you haven't? Wow. Um, <laughs> there's so much going on. Um, if it goes right, we deliver x-ray vision to the world, right? We, we deliver x-ray vision to surgery for an initial application. It grows from there. Our pathway is likely a, a scenario where is a company matures, it's either standalone and you go IPO or you get acquired. One of those scenarios happens for us as we mature. If it goes wrong, we didn't hold ourselves accountable. Something fell through the cracks that we didn't think about, we didn't anticipate. You know, we do business continuity planning, risk planning, and that that involves an evaluation and a reflection of everything. You know, where's our IP going? How what's our development look like? You know, all these risks that we face. But if we hold ourselves, if we really plan the way we are and execute the way we're doing and hold ourselves accountable, we shouldn't face that. But if if we fall short, you know, it, it, it makes funding harder. Uh, we don't get sales like we want to. It's a cascade of things. And and not to say that those challenge challenges haven't happened and aren't going to happen, but to, to really get to a point of a failure, a lot of things fell apart and we didn't hold ourselves accountable. Going back to your question about culture, the culture of accountability, and delivering and performance and perseverance, that's 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 what we pull through. And, and it's it's how we work, but it's how we support each other and, and how we celebrate each other. And that, that culture is really important to us. So one of the items of timely importance, which we haven't yet discussed, but is, is important uh, to the whole journey is that, you know, MetaView has recently received 510K clearance from the FDA uh, for your platform. So in the in the broader scope of MetaView's journey, can you you know talk about what exactly this clearance entails, what went into achieving its approval, and what exactly are the implications of having unlocked the first clearance of this kind going forward? So I think that's thank you for asking about it. It's it's one it's the biggest milestone in MetaView's history in terms of development and regulatory submission and approval. So as a company it matures MetaView to the point where we have successfully achieved a regulatory approval and can now go out and start marketing our, our technologies. And in this instance, it's the XR90 navigation system that has that X-ray vision and live integrated imaging. Uh, so for a company, it's a monumental accomplishment. Did you take it a step further into the market? And, and you've got a broader effort going on with mixed reality that the FDA is learning from and developing their strategy and their approach around what MetaView's approval does is because it is the first approval that the FDA has issued that integrates live medical imaging and extends the use of the system to both soft tissue and bone. Uh, 
because soft tissue moves, bone does not. And, and the way we integrate live imaging allows us to compensate for that movement, but it, it opens up the pathways for others to, to expand on that. And that, that includes both MetaView ourselves and our ability to expand upon our own technologies and then for others to look to this, the benchmarks and guidance now that uh, the FDA has started to establish. It really is a, um, a tremendous accomplishment and a, um, a baseline for everything that's going to move forward and a lot of these other mixed reality companies trying to pursue this in the navigation and imaging space. When you ask about what level of work went into it, the the amount of work and effort was incredible by this just absolutely amazing team. Uh, Adam Cargill, uh, who leads our regulatory and the members of his team were just incredibly diligent and focused in getting this accomplished. But it, it you know, it wasn't without bumps along the way. Uh, and they, we, we learned uh, from initial responses and communications with the FDA. We actually partnered with the FDA uh, on some on some activities and allowed that that structured communication to build forward. So they had a better understanding of our technology, of some of the elements of mixed reality that we were overcoming, of the capabilities and limitations of the headsets etc. It was a moment of absolute elation for the company to receive that letter saying you guys have approved it. So I, I can't really thank the company, the team enough, and everybody that participated in it. But it, it, it was a monumental undertaking, to say the least. Yeah. And, and for those listening in, you can just see a real big smile on Adam's face as he says that. Yeah. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I Again, I appreciate it. This, the thing that for Cleveland, Ohio, to think about a world first for x-ray vision, soft tissue navigation in augmented reality is really an incredible prospect and a reflection of what is being done in the state of Ohio and what can be accomplished here. And this is just the start. So we're going to continue to expand. We position the technology for integration and partnerships with medical device, medical imaging, with other technology enablers uh, that are inside Ohio, outside of Ohio, and around the world. So we're preparing for a, a big and broad journey that will, will not only be domestic here in the U.S., but will also be global. Ah, that's incredible. Given the convergence of all these technologies, right, you know, the mixed reality, VR, AR, you layer on AI when thinking about the future of healthcare, I think like an optimistic framing of, of AI and clinicians is that, you know, every doctor and healthcare practitioner will have this, you know, assistant that is infinitely patient and compassionate and knowledgeable and and helpful and you know present through all of the things that the clinician is is doing um, and really kind of maximizing efficacy and and their outcomes, which is in some ways kind of aligned with I think you know what what you're building. What what is your take generally on the the future of of healthcare and and where this is all going? Well. The future of healthcare right now has some struggles ahead of it, you know, cost, delivering care, et cetera. These technologies are all going to feed into that. And, and, and it's going to, we have to reduce cost. We have to be more capable. It has to be more efficient. Where is it going to go? I think, you know, you're, we're going to see doctors with headsets that are already now using augmented reality. It's going to grow. You're going to see them using augmented reality and these other technologies day in and day out to inform them to make better decisions to deliver care. I think it's going to be, if you if it, you tease out what MetaView is building, you're going to have a headset on, you're going to be able to see patient anatomy, those capabilities are going to grow. You're going to be able to collaborate in an instant uh, across the world if you want to. You're going to have AI built into the back of the system that's informing you and making suggestions. And you'll be able to use all of those tools to execute a procedure to drive better outcomes efficiently on a cost-effective way, no matter where that patient is, hopefully. That really is the ultimate goal. That's where I think, I, I think we'll see that. And, and again, you're going to keep seeing all these technologies converging and blending together in these partnerships. And it's going to take the partnerships from these different people building different things. Because the other thing you could build on is have x-ray vision with a robot working in front of you as well while remotely collaborating. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, the robot takes the shake of the hand out and, you know, augmented reality gives the clinician x-ray vision. The more tools, the more information you present to them in an easy, intuitive way, the better the healthcare is going to be. At the end of the day, what I'd, I'd love to see is whether you're, uh, a nurse or whether you're the world's most advanced, you know, cardiothoracic surgeon, you, you know, you, you've got a headset, it's, it's form factor, maybe my, like my glasses, 
you're connected, you've got access to data and information, you're passing along information efficiently. The patient's coming in, they're feeling supported, they're getting the care they need in an efficient way, the system's functioning the way it needs to, and all these technologies are blending together. It's a big vision, it's going to take time, and it's going to take partnerships and an investment. And we get to be have a, a really unique role in that. I want to ask, I think it's become one of my favorite questions, for the the non-obvious thing that we haven't talked about, but you think is is critical to to MetaView's journey? Uh, well, people are on the obvious thing. The non-obvious thing, I, I guess I, when you live immersed in it, everything seems so obvious because it's so in your face. I think on the outside, looking in some things that are maybe not as obvious, you know, the interpersonal dynamics within a team are really critical. It's not just hiring the right people, but it's the way you work together is probably one of the most critical things that I think people may not give as much thought about. And, and that, again, I go, you made a great point about culture, that, that the importance of that culture early, deeply seated, lived and executed to is probably one of the things that may not be as obvious, but you, you have to do it. And, and it, you see that, that pulled out as the company grows and the number of the people that are there, the importance of that culture just multiplies. So if you haven't seeded it early on, and you can you can always, you know, correct and 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 build it, but getting that direction, that vision early, and then building off of it is really really important. That's one of the I think the things that are, are is less seen but needs to be pulled through. Given your your background, what have you found to be the the most valuable and transferable lessons from law to company building? <laughs> So a couple of things. I mean, the law teaches you, when you go to law school, it teaches you a way to think very analytically about any situation. That extrapolates to, you can extrapolate that to almost every element of life. My wife will probably tell you, I think too analytically, even about her and my conversations sometimes, but it just teaches you to approach a decision and an action in a step-by-step way. Be calculated, think it through, think through what's the step going to be, what the implications are, and, and how to do it. And then, obviously, I mean, I you know, reading contracts, executing contracts, legal implication that that's had huge benefits from the day we negotiated the license with Cleveland Clinic to now when we're negotiating contracts with these parties we're working with. That that legal aspect of it benefits us every day as a company. But I, I mean, I don't just use it in the contractual sense or the, the practice of law sense. It's really, it, it, we, it's, it's pulled through in how we operate as a company. Mm, I, I like that. Any closing thoughts, parting words before we come to our, our traditional closing question? What I, what I would invite people to do is experience the technology. Come see it for yourself. You know, it, it, once you see it, you, you believe it, you understand it. It really is the future. And it, it's, Again, born, growing, going to go global out of Cleveland, Ohio. And I couldn't be more humbled or proud to be in the city of Cleveland, in the state of Ohio, building the technologies that we're doing, working with the people we're doing, um, and changing healthcare. That's amazing. So we'll, we'll come to our uh, traditional closing question here, which ties into to Cleveland itself, which is for a hidden gem, you know, something in the area that other folks may not know about. You know, I'm I, being from Finley. I've been steered into just a couple little areas because I, I we come in, we work our butts off, and we leave. So I don't get to to do the fun stuff. It, the, ironically, on Cleveland Clinic's campus, they've got some eateries there that really make some decent food. And our team, jokingly, there we go in there and they, they make these Asian bowls on the campus, and they're they are to die for. So you can get uh, like a rice base or a uh, vegetable base or noodle base. And then they'll have like a Hawaiian bowl. You can get, you know, raw tuna on it. You can get Korean. They, they've got really some great food. <laughs> Believe it or not, if you have to come to Cleveland Clinic, they have great food on campus. So uh, I guess a plug for dietary at Cleveland Clinic is, is probably the most exciting thing I can come up to. Our, our team is, uh, we're always going to different taco places. So, you know, whether it's Barrio or some of these other ones in town, we really, that's one of our, uh, uh, the other nuances. And then we also always like spending time down by the river. That's, a, a, you know, kind of an a, a area where we can get a, a breather and, and celebrate and be relaxed. Well, how, how about a, a plug for in and around Finley? What, what would uh, oh gosh, um, 
I, I live, I, you know, I'm a big proponent of Finley, Ohio. Uh, they've got a lot of great restaurants and, and, and places downtown. Um, one-offs that you don't get anywhere else. So like Rosillery's, uh, The Gathering, The Bistro, Finley Brewing Company, uh, Bourbon Affair. Uh, I'm giving you all my favorite places. They've got it. They've really built this wonderful downtown district. They've won, won awards for it's like, like top micropolitan. And there's just great food and good people. The Logan's is another one. I could keep going on. There's just these little one-off restaurants that are just amazing in downtown Finley. So anybody ever wants to come down and hang out, the Hancock Hotel downtown is is affordable. It's great. It's brand new. And there are awesome places to eat and hang out in Finley. Despite being in the middle of a bunch of cornfields, it's a great town. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Adam, I just want to thank you again for for coming on and and uh, sharing your story. It's, it's, it's really cool to see what what you're building, I'm out of you. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure to be here. Again, if, if people ever want to reach out and uh, connect and, and see what we're building, we, you know, we've got a website. Uh, we're in Cleveland. Come see us. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Yeah, thank you very much. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.